What is up, guys? You're tuning into this Okiru podcast. I'm your co-host Jasper, and we thank you so much for spending this time with us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure to follow us on our socials at Okiru on Instagram, Okiru on Facebook, Okiru on YouTube, and also Okiru on major platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. We hope you enjoy. Okiru. Rosie, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. Traveling well, traveling well. This is our second episode in, I guess, a new series that we're posting on young multicultural、mm-hmm. leaders. And I'm just looking around, and multicultural leaders are all around me. And it makes sense when you're working with a sense of multicultural youth. Hey, yeah. We've got our boy MC Kano on <laughs>、yes, last week. Yes, good. And We've got yourself as、mm-hmm. our new chairwoman of the youth-led unit, and、mm-hmm. a name unknown. We're not releasing it just yet. So <laughs> It's a surprise! It's coming. Stay tuned. Have your experiences been as a year twelve school leaver, finishing up during COVID, essentially doing year twelve in COVID,、mm-hmm. and then off to university, but finding the center of multicultural youth. And、mm-hmm. I guess we all have our stories of how we got connected. Right. What was yours? Yeah.、Um, yeah. Well, working at CMY has been literally, literally life changing.、Um, I found so. Yeah, as you said, Liam, I did year twelve in COVID. So we were the first year to kind of graduate as COVID babies.、Um, <laughs> that was in itself a whole experience, story.、Um, I think throughout year twelve and like I guess ten and eleven, I found Kind of my feet, and I found like myself in leadership positions, and I was like, "Look, there is just so much not being said about you know society that we're living in, whether that be inequities within the system, inequities within the VCE system, COVID,、um, or whether that be just like racism and discrimination." And I think、um, when I was in year eleven, I kind of realised there's no, there's I couldn't volunteer at ASRC, for example, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. I couldn't do all these things because I was under the age of eighteen. So that's when I just like discovered my、um, my local council's youth jury, they call it,、um, and I joined that in year eleven, and that was amazing because it was you know linking me with, up with like minded people.、Um, I was able to advocate to council for issues that I cared about, and I was able to do it while I was under the age of eighteen.、Um, and then yeah, I guess moving into twenty twenty、um, at the end of twenty twenty,、um, I saw. I'm not actually sure how I discovered it, but CMY was advertising the youth-led unit.、Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I know you, Liam. And yeah, I just applied. I was not expecting to get it at all. I don't think when I applied, I realized the gravity of what this unit was.、Um, and yeah, just like been there since since then, and we've expanded, obviously.、Um, yeah, I guess how have you found it, Liam? I think I'm just I'm the youngest、mm-hmm. as well of the group, and I just feel so honored to. Like have have that role because um you know we have IT specialists we've got doctors <laughs> we had you know all these amazing、yeah. like qualified people and I'm just coming out of high school and yeah it was yeah been crazy. So what surprised me was you're the youngest. I'm the oldest <laughs> of the group, and I've got almost ten years on you, right?、Yeah. And for me that was like, whoa! I'm I'm still young. I still consider myself young, but. I guess on the older side of being young,、yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. And it's been a, a great point to connect and to meet, I guess, fascinating people who are movers and shakers、mm-hmm. in their own communities. But 
it seems like you've got this fire and this passion in you to make a change. Where did where did this all come from? Yeah, well, that's really something I've been exploring this past year, pretty much to the dot. Um, I'm actually adopted. So I was adopted when I was three months old mm. in Australia. Um, and I was, yeah, need to preface, I was born in Australia. Yeah. You know, when I talk to people that I'm adopted, sometimes they're like, oh, so like, on a doorstep I'm like no that's not how it works (laughs) um so yeah and I think that's been something I've been exploring this past year um I've actually reconnected with my birth mother um in the past year which has been just yeah I've been I think I've just been discovering a lot about identity um and I think it's it's all kind of been this whirlwind because um I'm studying kind of global studies at university and I was doing these subjects on First Nations, racism and social Mm. justice. And I was having to write these essays and I was having to interrogate my subject position to race. Um, And that, and this was kind of before I had actually discovered my biological mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I, and I think I've always been quite aware of my privilege. I've, I think I've always been really grateful for the life I've been given. I've grown up in this like little left-wing progressive bubble in in Northcote. And um, yeah, I think, I've been really aware of that since I was little, but having to actually interrogate my subject position mm. and write like how racism could have been maybe stronger if I was born into another family or if I was, you know, um, born somewhere else has been, yeah, quite a lot. Um, and I think going to university this year, oh, sorry, last year, and meeting people with different ideological viewpoints and different you know life experiences and mm. they kind of classifying me as a person of color was really really interesting yeah. and that's something that yeah, yeah. It's, i kind of could talk about it's yeah so much so yeah i don't really know where to start <laughs> with it that sounds a lot to unpack right yeah um i'm curious what was that feeling like discovering that you were adopted and then finding your birth mother yeah um so I've always known I was adopted. Oh, okay. it, yeah, it wasn't like a guess what, Rosie? Right. <laughs> in the movies, like I watched movies like that. I'm just like that's not how, like that's shouldn't how it be. It shouldn't yeah. be mm. how it works. Um, but yeah, I can't really remember when mm. my mum and dad told me I was adopted. Um, my parents are both white too, so mm. it's I guess I mean some of my friends say it's not that obvious, but <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> obvious. But they're white, but what's their cultural backgrounds mm. as well? Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, yeah, not, not much. Like, <laughs> I I guess, yeah, I, they're Australian, English, German, yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, my brother, who he's younger than me, he's yeah. also adopted, um, but not from the same biological family. Mm. So he, mm. he looks very different to me. So that's probably where the, mm. like, you can tell. Um, but yeah, I guess, yeah, just, what was your question again? I guess what was that feeling like just uh, finding your birth mother? Yeah. The story of how that unfolded. The million dollar question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess it, I guess I can give you the whole, like how it started, how I did it because like, I mean, I want to ask you, do you know anyone else that is adopted? I had one mate. One. And we weren't very close, but to see his journey of like finding his birth mother and then like them getting reconnected Mm. i think that was an incredible story like i saw i think he wrote a letter to his mother and it was like quite a you know emotional journey yeah i I didn't get to speak to him about it right but i was just really 
I kind of, I guess I kind of seeing it from a different lens, just seeing it like, wow, like to see him connect with his mother, like at such, I think he was in his early twenties when he found out his, who his real mother was. Hmm. And it was like a, I think he had a supportive parents as well. So they were doing their best to find who his mother was. And mm. I think she was all the way in like South Korea. Yeah, well, so it was yeah. pretty far. Incredible. Yeah. So it was cool to see them get connected and build a relationship yeah. through the lens of social media. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For me, no, you're the only one, mm. Rosie. And uh, I can't even comprehend what that would feel like. Mm. All the questions yeah. you have mm. growing it's, up. Right. Yeah. Definitely wondering every single day of my life. Like, I, there's no other really way to put it. Like, um, I, yeah, I'd say I've done like quite a lot of work this year to kind of unpack this and a lot of new emotions have come up since. Um, but yeah, I just remember like since probably prep age of six, like I'd be like to kids, Hey, like I'm adopted. Mm. And like, you know, what a six year old meant like that. No, no one knows, but yeah. yeah, I guess all the people I've spoken to, no one can count more than five people on their, mm. on their fingers. Like it's mm. a really rare thing. Um, but yeah, just something you brought up, you, you're like, Oh, he's connected to his real, real mom. Um, that's really interesting in itself. Cause I, so like, let's say I'm in prep, I'm like, Hey, I'm adopted. And kids would be like, Oh, cool. Like, have you met your real mom? Mm. And that was something I would all, like, I can like memorize this off by heart. I'd be like, Oh no, actually my real mom is the mom I have now. Like mm. my real mom is my mom. And ever since the age of six, I've really, I don't know how it was ingrained in me. My mom, maybe it was mom saying, no, like I'm your mother. Um, but yeah, that's something that I really like have learned that I'm like, wow, that's actually like unconsciously I've done that since I was six. Mm. And um, I was talking to my psychologist about this and she was like, wow, that's really interesting. You correlate real with adoptive mum because in scholarly discourse, it's real equals biological, mm. which is really, really interesting. Cause when she told me that I was like, what? Like, that's like, I can't comprehend that. Like my mum is my mum. Like mm. she's my real mum. But I guess maybe for children who haven't been in permanent care since they were little, it makes sense that they're like real equals biological. But yeah, mm. for me, it just, yeah, I, I guess I, that was something I've learned this year. I was just shocked. I was like, no, like my mum is my mum. Like that's something I've always had to really use, use that type of language, yeah. use that discourse. Um, so that's been really interesting. Um, but yeah, like I've, it's always kind of just been like a story to me. It's always been something I'm going to finish high school and I'm going to do it. Like it's going to be a journey mm. and I'm, I'm going to, and that's something I did. It did, it, it is a journey and it's happened and I can't really believe that it's happened because it's been li like, I can't, it, yeah, I literally can't explain it, but yeah, I guess the process, I, I guess it just to reemphasize, like it's so rare adoption. I think I was talking to my mom and dad before this and my grandma actually and she was like I think in the year that you were born 2002 there were 16 local adoptions mm -hmm. in the whole year like it's so rare yeah. and then we were looking at some stats and in like 2010 to 11 of all adoptions in Australia only 12% were local and then the rest were like inter-country yeah. mm -hmm. and then maybe 30 or 30% were like I don't know let's say stepmom to grandma yeah. or something um, so yeah, just crazy how I kind of ended up with like the most amazing family, like in the world, like I actually, I can't, like it makes me really emotional. Cause I'm like, how, <laughs> like, how did that happen? Yeah. Anyway, oh my God, don't cry. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. Because at three months old, when you yeah. were adopted, yeah. 
you had that safety that mm-hmm. whole time as an infant till mm-hmm. to now for the last 20 years. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why it makes sense for me that you're calling your adoptive mum your mm. real mum as well because it's that feeling that you've been able to develop and that connection with each other mm. over time. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I might as well just go through the process because it's really interesting. Like, do you kind of have any idea how you do it? Like how you track down someone that like, has like no idea or like no pages. idea. Where you're, yeah, <laughs> literally, like I wish it was that simple just to know. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I started doing this in I'd say it was last year. Yeah, o- October probably. Um, October November, and the department I think it's called Department of Justice Adoption Agency. I don't really know. Um, you're not allowed your records until you're 18. So mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to know her last name. I'm not allowed to, you know, I don't really know anything um I think compared to my brother I've been I've felt quite lucky I've had a photo of her my parents actually met her when Mm. she was young um so I've always had this vision of this this woman in my head Mm. I've always been like this is this is her um so it's been great to put a face to Mm. the name um so yeah when I turned 18 I applied to birth and oh no I applied to adoption agency sorry and I had this interview with this woman and um, I got access to about 200 documents, 200 right. pages of like blurted out other families mm. that I could have gone to. Whoa. Like um, I got like baby, I got my usual birth certificate, yeah. like baby, blah, 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 wow. needs permanent care, like immunization records, like everything. Um, and I got access to the last name. And then from there, I had to to track someone down. You need their full name. Like you need to sort out mm. where they live. And um, I couldn't just search her up on Facebook because yeah. you don't want to like hit someone up and be like, hey, <laughs> guess what? I'm here. Um, so, yeah, with that information, I had to sort out if this name that I had, including the last name, had changed, if she'd mm. been married or something um, because you need a name to find an address to send a letter. So I had to apply to births, deaths and marriages and I needed a marriage certificate. So let's say, Jasper, you want your mum's marriage certificate, for example. You'd have to get her permission yeah. from births, deaths and marriages to apply. Um, but obviously I couldn't get her permission. But because I did this certificate, oh, sorry, because I had this interview, I had this little, I call it like a key. So I kind of could just apply yeah. and because I was deemed her natural daughter. Mm. So that's kind of how it worked. But so I did that. No one at Birth, Deaths and Marriages knew what they were doing. That took about two months in itself to, for them to be like, no, like they were all like, no, you don't get access. And I was like, yes, I do. Mm. Eventually they like let me have access and there was no record of a birth certificate. I'm sorry, a marriage certificate. Mm. So I then, um, that was like, fine, that's fine. It means her name hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. So then one Thursday, I just like walk into the city and there's this computer and it's the electoral roll on it. And I just literally type in a name and an address comes up. Like I could type in any of your names and an address comes up. And like, I don't know, I think when I was going through the process, because this has been something that's like lifelong, like this has been mm-hmm. the thing I'm going to do. And yeah, it was. I think it was quite anticlimactic. I was like, oh, here's a, here's a like... <laughs> Here's an address, like, what am I going to do? You know, because you don't know mm. if it's going to be right, yeah. right? Um, so I get this address, go home to mom and dad, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's, like, crazy. Um, and I write this letter, I type this letter out, and I keep it, you know, quite – I don't have my last name in it or anything, and I just say broadly, like, you have to assume that everyone in her life has no idea that I exist. Like, that's kind of mm, how you have to – it's yeah. very privacy 
of the um, biological mum. So I was like, hi, to whom I'm concerned, I'm looking into my um, family history. Um, in particular, I'm looking for someone after the name of. Um, if you have any information, let me know. So I sent it with registered post. Obviously, mm. OzPost had their delays and I kind of just forgot about it. And then, yeah, one, I guess, in in December last year, I just get this text and I'm like just a babysitting and I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was just like the best text you could ever really like comprehend it was just like I'm so so happy like hey and then yeah from there had had a call and then we met and it was just since then it's been yeah pretty amazing I'm pretty lucky that it's been quite smooth and my parents always knew that it would be after meeting her but yeah I know it's a lot and (laughs) yeah so vivid the way that you share the story it's like i'm I've, sitting in oh a movie gosh, i have told like <laughs> i can see that unfolding in my mind <laughs> no literally and i wish i could show you the video of me calling her for the first time because like oh, my friends have cried in shopping centers yeah. they've cried in my room like it's been really nice to um mm. you know tell my tell my friends the story yeah. um but yeah i guess just reconnecting with someone you can't and also like in movies like would you ever watch movies and like if someone like in movies, when someone passes away, I don't really get emotional. But when they reconnect, like uh-huh. ever since I was little, like that's been the thing to just, oh my gosh, I can't do it. Like, what would you say is your like? Yeah. I feel like yeah, it's reconnecting. I think for that me. joyous moment of like, yeah that connection happening. Right? Yeah, reconnecting moments are incredible yeah. because I guess as humans, we've all been separated from loved ones before, right? So we mm. can all relate to the feeling, but you've built up this image this process over 20 years essentially and yeah so it came down to this one day I'm like driving there like ready to meet my biological mum like oh my gosh like I was gonna vomit like I was so so nervous like I actually like that was worse than like exams like that was (laughs) so bad um but yeah she's just sitting on this rock and I'm just like yeah it was pretty pretty crazy can you see yourself in her in terms of facial Face, features yes and- so similar like pretty much and she was exactly what i thought because i've had this photo of her mm. um she was exactly what i thought um but yeah even like my friends have you know seen us together and we have a lot of the same mannerisms and things like that which is interesting um so yeah it's just kind of wow. been been a whole year of kind of um sorting out how to inc- integrate these two worlds mm. which has been really really difficult um and yeah I guess trying to sort out you know what type of relationship I want to have with her because I've never like I've always thought about meeting her never what type of relationship would it be because you can't you can't jump ahead and you can't Mm, think like oh so that's been like quite hard to sort out it's kind of yeah so it's worked out it's worked out. You found a yeah. you develop. You're in control of yeah. what type of relationship you want. That, yeah, and I think, or I think that word control is really interesting. I think um, it's taken a while to sort out. Like I think the way I've reacted to the whole um, meeting process has been quite interesting. Like it's brought up new emotions I've never felt mm. before. Um, so yeah. So how about you mentioned earlier about being classified as a person of color? Mm, yeah. Right, and you're brought up with two white yeah. parents in your little left-wing bubble. So last week we spoke to Kano yeah. and we were talking about how 
Growing yeah. up in an Asian family, we were more risk adverse mm. than if you were growing up with, say, Aussie parents who have been here for generations. Go take risks. Go jump off that plane. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right? How, how have you found growing up as a person of color mm. in a white household, but also knowing that you look in the mirror, hey, I'm not exactly like my parents, but you're Vietnamese and you've got other races mixed into you as yeah. well. Um, yeah, it's been quite, uh, yeah, I actually, yeah, it's been quite difficult to try to sort that out. Um, I'm reading this book at the moment called The Colour of Difference and it's about mm. adoptive people, um, both into, into country and local adoptions, um, who are obviously, you know, different race to their parents and how they've like dealt with that. And I think a main thing has been, like, I read some of the stories and, their parents haven't exactly been supportive of reaching yeah. out and connecting to their culture. But my parents, for example, um, you know, I've been to Vietnam. They've been amazing. We've we've been to the UK for my brother. Like they're, mm. they're just amazing like that. Um, and I think it's something that you really have to, like, you know, when you adopt a child, you really have to think about, you know, different cultures. And I think my parents have done that really well. Um, I guess, yeah, when I, yeah, pretty much like at uni, when I had that interaction with this one person in particular, I had never really been like just labeled like that. Like it, we were having debate and it was like, you as a person of color, explain how. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow. Yeah, it was really intense. Um, <laughs> and, and I think like, yeah, growing up, I guess I would, I, I had never really thought, Rosie, like you're a person of color just because, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I'd grown up in a, you know, I'd, I don't think my relationship to racism has been quite, strong as it would I think if I was placed anywhere else um but yeah I guess as I've gone through this process I've been like oh that's a microaggression there that's a mm. thing then I think the only time I've really questioned my identity is when people have asked me and they still do like oh so what's your ethnicity and I've been like and I actually didn't know what my ethnicity was until I did a DNA test mm. um oh. a few years ago I knew I was Vietnamese. I knew she, I knew she was Vietnamese, and mm -hmm. I knew I was half Vietnamese. But I didn't know, you know, where my frizzy hair comes from, for example. It's not like this normally, um, <laughs> but where you know, I didn't I didn't know any of that. So after doing the DNA test, has been great. But yeah, for example, Ubers would be like, oh, so like, what's your ethnicity? I'd be like, oh, Vietnamese and Southeast European, but I don't really know. And they're like, what do you mean you don't know? And it's just like people mm. who just think that they like kind of deserve this because I don't know they kind of just deserve yeah. to know and I'm just like I literally don't know like I can't yeah. so that's kind of the only time I've like had to been quite difficult and I've always said like Vietnamese and Southeast European haha ha, like I don't really know but yeah I guess it, it's not as straightforward as like mm. I'm Vietnamese because yeah I, I guess I'm not I can't, I can't, I can count to 99 but that's yeah. about it can you um yeah cool. <laughs> but that's, what's 88 oh isn't it like you do 10, 8, and then don't you do – I just know the process. I can count to 10, though. <laughs> but, like, don't you know – isn't it like you do 20, 10 or 2, 10 or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. That's all I know. Family, bam. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> but, yeah, like, how, how about you You guys, I guess, like, you know, you're not adopted, obviously, but I guess when someone has asked you, like, what's, you know, what's your background, like, you've uh, been able to kind of say mm, or not really. I think – I was going to say, like, I get um, mistaken for Samoan, not Islander yeah. often. <laughs> like, I'll go to the gym and, like, you go to the, 
the washroom or something and they'll start speaking to him like so oh hard. I'm like, wait, sorry, dude, I'm Filipino, man. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, because I thought you were like, we'll see. I'm like, nah, nah, man. I'll get confused for like Indonesian or mm. sometimes Malaysian. Like yeah. even in Malaysia, they were speaking to me in Malay. I'm like, well, sorry, guys. I, don't, oh, I only know English. <laughs> um, But yeah, I identify as Australian, but yeah. Filipino. Yeah. I like mm. to say. Yeah, as a kid, I would be like, no, I'm Australian. Yeah. I'm Australian. Mm. Yeah. I'm also Vietnamese, but no, I'm Australian. Mm. And that's my key identity. Yeah. yeah. And like a lot of other multicultural people growing up in Australia, you find, well, I've found much more connection to my culture as I grow mm. even more. I'm always connected. Yeah. And I always speak Vietnamese at home and mm-hmm. my family cook the food and I love all the celebrations and traditions mm. that we do. But now I'm, I'd happily say I'm, I'm Vietnamese Australian, mm. Mm. right? Yeah. And look, I, I grew up in a very multicultural primary school, so there were a bunch of Vietnamese kids, some Chinese, Lebanese, mm. Italians, and mm. Greeks in there. Maltese sells a beautiful melting pot yeah. uh, where we grew up, and the diversity was always around us. So the racism if you call it that, is is poking fun at each other. I guess mm. it's a casual racism that you learn to tolerate. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But then you dish it out at the same time. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's a, a really interesting one. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you've got the Asian group, the WOG group, yeah. the Bogans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you identify with being Vietnamese at all? Because yeah. in terms of practices and traditions, um, I mean, no, like I, my parents didn't celebrate Chinese yeah, New Year, like that would have been, like, no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say like, I, I kind of, I think I do need to put an identity to myself. Like, I think mm. I do need to label because like, otherwise, what would I, I think I'd feel really lost if I didn't. Mm. And I guess maybe it's just like about that knowing. And I guess I went to Vietnam when I was eight. Um, so I was quite young and my, I do remember it really distinctly, which is interesting, but I think the fact that my parents took me there so young was mm. really to show me like, you know, you're, you know, you identify with this culture. Um, and I think in Vietnam and even like the big market mum says like the Vietnamese woman, like they can <laughs> tell. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. But <laughs> I guess, yeah, the more I grow up, I think I, I experience a lot more people being like, oh, like really? And I'm like, what? like yeah. stop. Because I, you know, I don't, yeah, I guess it's not that easy to pick. I don't know. I guess it may be because it's mixed with you know, European, but yeah, I'd say like Vietnamese and Australian. Like I, I mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely, I definitely would say I like correlate with the Vietnamese culture, but um, as I've been, you know, exploring my biological mother's side, mm-hmm. um, you know, her, her mum doesn't speak any English. So being around that is really interesting because I do feel quite, you know, left out. I can't speak any Vietnamese. So at Christmas, it was really interesting. I was like, oh, wow, like crazy, but you feel, feel quite, detached yeah. mm. um so that's been something really interesting yeah so yesterday you shared with us an incredible article <coughs> and it was such a oh, I find it hard saying this word serendipitous moment when you sent it on whatsapp and i was actually reading the article <laughs> as we wow. spoke it was incredible that's and it was funny. about two young vietnamese mares in Maribyrnong and Brimbang. Mm. So how did you feel reading that article, knowing that you are of a Vietnamese culture? 
Well, yeah, it's exactly, you know, what we try to promote at the youth-led unit at Centre for Multicultural Youth. Like we want to see multicultural young people at the forefront of decision-making processes and I think they're just such good examples of how you can do that. Um, also examples of like cross-sector collaboration and how the Vic government or Vivian has, you know, the is she chairwoman of yeah, yeah, has helped of um sorry, multicultural commission mm-hmm. um has you know helped facilitate that and that's something that we want to do at CMY, um but yeah I guess it's just example of <laughs> what we want to do and I guess yeah it's inspiring, um, but I guess in a in a way like I I hate to like I don't like they obviously spoke about their upbringings and their Vietnamese like culture and I don't know sometimes I. I mean, by definition, like, I guess I can I can work at CMI. But, like, sometimes I do feel like, oh, you know, maybe I'm taking the floor for, like, from other people. But I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you know, Centre for Multicultural Youth, for example, is, like, migrant and refugee, you know, background. And I guess, you know, my biological mother, her family was migrant here, like, came. But I guess, I don't know, I guess I just feel like I belong there because of my passion to make make change and alleviate racism but yeah I don't know I don't think you should be discounting (laughs) your ability to connect and participate because you have an individual and unique story in itself right and by sharing your story others will you've got this diversity of experiences and Mm -hmm. thoughts as well and that is able to to bring connection to others yeah Mm. yeah and I think you know, I was the topic of adoption in itself mm. is just so rare. Like, mm. it there's nothing about about it. It was only in 1984 that adoptions became open adoptions, um, and they were actually realizing the rights of the child and the rights to like no information of your birth identity. And through the 50s and 60s, it was all closed adoption. It was there was nothing that children could do to really like find out yeah. their birth and the. Vic government have provided compensation for that since and it's just mm. um yeah, I guess just like the more information out there about adoption, like the better because no one knows about it <laughs> and it's the hard process to connect. And I think especially like I think it's really overwhelming because it happened at a time where I was like transitioning from high school where you're just you're just in your like in your bubble really. Mm. And then you go to university and I'm transitioning, I'm learning about the world, I'm learning about like human rights violations and you're like oh my gosh like where do I kind of belong and yeah, like, yeah I'll always belong like with my mom and dad but yeah identity is a really big thing and I didn't think I didn't really think about it before I <laughs> like did this process mm. um and I think it happened really quickly so my my birth mother said to me she was like oh we missed your 18th like we'll be there for your 21st and I was like oh my gosh like crazy like, that's pretty intense so how was <laughs> yeah. it connecting at a christmas party with your birth mother and her mother your grandma yeah was it a big vietnamese family yeah quite a big family there's four of them in the family or i mean mm-hmm. it could be bigger but yeah um yeah it was great like it was obviously a lot because we had only met about a month before mm-hmm. um no not even a month like three weeks before um and so that that whole time kind of was just a lot. It was the, just straight into like trying to juggle two two lives. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it, it was really nice. It was like it, they. It was nice. They didn't make it about like all about me. It was. Mm. It was nice. It was like felt 
quite mm. normal, but yeah, it was it was a lot. Meeting your cousins, yeah, literally, and, and uncles like and my aunties. uncle is only I have an uncle that's only like four years older than me. Like it's just yeah, pretty crazy. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was a lot. I guess yeah, it's incredible, and it. I'm glad you can. I guess identify and connect with your Vietnamese heritage as mm. well because that's where my family is from. Yeah. And last week I went to an incredible event. It was hosted by the Vietnamese Australian Professional Network. Mm -hmm. So they got 200 Vietnamese Australians into a single room and it was the first time that the community has ever engaged in this way. So the energy was electric in there. Everybody was so passionate. And it felt like a family event well, because yeah. um, it's your people and yeah. you kind of slip in references that only your people can understand mm. as well. And there's people from all walks of life. So there was a judge magistrate. There was a, a journalist on the ABC, Danny Tran, mm. um, some really high-flying corporate lawyers in there, mm. people like myself uh, who are passionate about the community. Mm. And yeah, a lot of movers and shakers in that room. So look, yeah. if you're interested in, in discovering <laughs> your yeah. identity a bit more, I'd invite you to the next event yeah. and, and come along and, and meet the peeps. Yeah, yeah, literally. I guess just living in Melbourne, like it's so, so diverse. So mm. it's it's really nice. And especially working with communities like the ones we do at CMY, it's just really uplifting and empowering. Yeah. So what is it that you guys do at CMY? Can you guys touch on that a bit more? <laughs> um, yeah, Liam will probably be able to synthesize it a bit more than me. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess deriving out of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2019, 20, 2020. 2020, yeah. Um, Centre for Multicultural Youth, which is a organisation based in Melbourne, um, which are state and federal funded, um, realised a need for young people to kind of take the lead um, they realised that there were not multicultural young people really driving the show at CMY, which is Centre for Multicultural Youth. <laughs> um, and so they, yeah, the, the board um, kind of invested in this youth-led unit, which has finally had a name change, thank gosh, after two years. Um, but, yeah, we were literally just given free reign of what to do, what to develop, what to design. Um, and make our own vision. And I guess the whole point of the youth-led unit is to be freestanding from CMY, but still have a correlation and kind of use the resources right. they do. But um, yeah, since the two years that it's been around, we've we're finally starting to put our programs into action. We've got a diversity workshops, online hub, and consultation. Yeah, mm. um, and yeah, we're working with organisations. Um, arms of government and we for example like a, a um organization will come to us and yeah. we'll kind of see if their m membership or what would you, you like whether their organization is structured to be inclusive yeah. for young multicultural people right. yeah yeah because look you and i jasper were born in australia we went to school here you went to williamstown high school and, mm. and all that mm. but you've got other communities who their young people are refugees. Yeah. They would have fled uh, wherever they, uh, they like, called home initially. Yeah, and right. they have the, this inability to be active citizens. And mm. 
you know, which is like a term that's actually defined by Mayan. Um, but yeah, and I guess we're just trying to enable young people to, we're going to upskill them to run these diversity workshops, yeah. for example, um, and just, yeah, giving them the platform to mm. lead oh. and make, make decisions that influence them as yeah. well. Um, and it's a big, yeah. the meta in it is it's very, it, it's capacity building for us who are involved as well. Mm -hmm. So Rosie as a school leaver and as the youngest member is now the chairwoman, right? So she's leading all the discussions in our board meetings. She's liaising with the executives on the CMY side and also the board as well. And for a 20-year-old, that's an incredible <laughs> opportunity. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking back at 20 years old, I was <laughs> not doing that, but that's for sure. <laughs> playing video games at home. That's what I was doing. No, but I wouldn't have been able to do that with like the support of, mm. of the group that we have. And we have mm. five of us are yeah. still there from the beginning. And now we've moved into a committee of management and we have some amazing people with amazing skills and experience. So um, I just get, I guess, just the <coughs> network within within the group that we have is mm. just amazing. And um, yeah, very honored to be chairwoman. <laughs> so volunteer work is, is, that's what we're doing at the moment, mm. yeah? We're volunteer uh, committee of management team. Mm. And so what that for me has done is it's allowed me to get involved in community, has allowed me to build my skills, to participate, but has also connected me to the Ben Along Foundation, which is where I work yeah. today. Mm. So what benefits have you found in, in volunteering over the years, especially hooking up with your local council as mm. a 17-year-old and participating in, in all of the other stuff you do, yeah. you do too? Well, I guess just um, comparing youth-led unit to the, for example, another advisory group mm. that I've been in, um, the difference between youth-led and youth advisory is very, very big. Um, the fact that CMY has given this a youth-led initiative is very rare and I don't think a lot of other non-profit organizations do that and they you know to because because to have a youth advisory group is still within the structures mm. of a not youth-led like organized like structure if that makes sense right. which doesn't but um yeah I guess from there like I'm, I'm now working with the Victorian government in the um multicultural youth network which has been amazing um I think I've become more aware of you know, how council works maybe and um, evaluating like how to engage young people in a way that's not tokenistic, that's mm. not, you know, reevaluate council plans pretty much. Um, but, yeah, from there, like I've just taken, I guess, just anything I see, I'm like I need to do it. I feel a moral obligation and I think being in the unit has just really changed my perception of how much you can and if you can't do it, how you need to do it. Um, yeah, I think I've just... I mean, and it, and it's, like, as I said, like the networks within there, like it, it's just great to be able to work with Vic Health, for example, or do a consultation with Municipals Council of Victoria, things like that. Um, it's been really nice and to end up on a podcast like this. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Neat. What advice for other young people would you give on your volunteer work and the benefits it's brought you mm. in, in connecting with, governments top to bottom mm. how would you encourage others to get involved and, and why should they get involved yeah well I feel like the my why is like I have to like I, I genuinely feel like a moral obligation I've been placed in this family 
who has given me like the most amazing resources, most amazing life experiences. And like, I need to do something with that privilege because I could have literally ended up anywhere else. Like, I think that's what it comes down to. Um, but, you know, for other people that might not be the case, but I think, I think, you know, you look at the world and you look at Australia and we're just such a prosperous nation. And I just feel like there's so much more we could be doing. Um, but I guess to anyone who's like wanting to get involved, whether that be youth work, youth council, anything, just look to your local council, I think is, um, or look to other organizations like Youth Affairs Victoria, um, <laughs> Council of Victoria are really good. Um, there's just so many things to do, but, and once you're in the know, you're in the know. I think it's just that first step of getting in there. Um, and yeah, when I joined council, for example, I didn't really know what my main passion was. But over the years, you kind of discover that and, you know, all my friend, a lot of my friends think climate's the main one and whilst that's important, I think it's racism, discrimination. Like there's lots of different subcategories to care mm. about and mm. there's so much to do. And I think, you know, in a world of social media and digitalization, it's there's so much you can do that's, you know, on your phones and ways to not be tokenistic about it. But, <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah. the same in terms of, it feels like a moral, not a moral obligation, mm. but a, a yearning and a desire to give back and to connect with mm. others mm. In, in these spaces as well. Because my family came here with absolutely nothing, yeah. right? And, and it's unfortunate enough to carry this little book, little blue book that allows me usually hypermobility throughout the world. I can go anywhere, really. Mm. The Australian passport is just so powerful. Mm. Right, and being born into the birth lottery yeah. as well, where I call this place my home, and there's millions of others knocking down the door trying to get in, yeah. but they can't because of all the bureaucracy and the red tape that prevents yeah. them to do so. Right, so we are, yeah, I feel extremely lucky. What would you say to people to, if they're maybe hesitant about getting <coughs> involved? Like, what would you? I'd say to try and find out what areas of the world that you'd love to change, mm. for example, right? And, and for me, it's capacity building of, of young people to be active citizens. And that's exactly when I found CMY, I was like, they're doing the exact same thing. This is incredible. Mm. Like, sign me up right now, <laughs> right? And by helping build others up, you build yourself up. And in turn, we all rise together. <laughs> so Jasper, because we're talking about how we're involved in community, mm. right? With the Akiru community, mm. by building yourself up, yeah. in turn you help build others and you kind of raise mm. raise the standards yeah. of, of living and quality of connection. How have you found it in the past two years? Um, wow, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, wow, where can I start? I think we... We only started the podcast last year. So really getting into these conversations is very young. Mm. Before that, it was just focus on product development and really building ourselves, Joel and I, right? Discovering techniques and tools that can help us in the business world. And then once we built the confidence, because when we started this journey, we were like, oh man, we're having amazing conversations with all these our mates. And I was like, damn, I wish we had a podcast where we mm -hmm. could record these conversations. And we were so afraid to start. And then one day we were just like, all right, we've got the mics. Let's bring it out. Let's just have a conversation, see where it goes. Yeah. 
And it was just the start of us like having these conversations that we believe are important to us. And I guess we were inspired by the other people who were in this space. There's over a million, two million podcasts or whatever out there, right? But it was so hard to connect those to those people we were listening to because they were at the level at the top already. Mm. So we're like, let's try to take a dip, different approach and like talk to the people in our world, right? And see what they've done to with their stories, what they've learned and all the experiences and share on this platform. And I guess that's what we've been trying to do, right? It's what our mission is, is helping others build their mastery in their own universe and starting with ourselves. And I guess, I hope that kind of answers your question, but um, yeah, the journey, we're still learning. We're always learning, always Mm -hmm. be learning, right? And always be growing as much as we can. yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought with that question. (laughs) Do you ever, like, I guess to both of you, do you ever feel, like, discouraged by, you said, you you know, there are two million other podcasts out there, for example. Say two million or two thousand. No, you don't. Millions. Yeah, millions is a lot. Oh, my gosh. Um, But, yeah, like, I don't know. Do you ever feel, I guess, in the work we do, are you just like, wow, like, there's so much to change? Or do you always kind of see it on a micro level? (sighs) Look, it's... I think we just found something we love doing, right? Mm-hmm. And if you love doing what you're doing, like why look at what everyone else is doing? Mm-hmm. I, I guess we just use it as inspiration for yeah. what we do, right? We learn from the people who have done it best and we, we I guess, like review that and see what we can take from them yeah. into our own conversations. And it's... It can be like a very toxic game of like, oh man, these guys are doing this and that and it can be discouraging. But it's just always remembering like, are we enjoying this? Are we enjoying what we're doing? Like, are we enjoying talking to the people that we have on our podcast? And if it's yes, then why stop? It doesn't matter about the numbers. Like Lim said, it's like the numbers are a vanity, right? Mm -hmm. Why not just focus on what we're doing right now instead of like the numbers will come eventually mm-hmm. the more people we talk to the more podcasts we release the longer we do it mm-hmm. the longer we put our foot into the on this space like what we discuss is like people stop at like 12 or whatever podcasts and you know because they get so discouraged by the numbers and we're almost at like 50 50 right we are 50 this is yeah, this podcast is episode 50 <laughs> wow honored, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been an incredible journey yeah right? What about in like youth work, Liam, do you feel like? Well, just back on that question that you asked Jasper, it's because we love doing what we're doing and I get so much energy from having these conversations with amazing young people, amazing people in our community. And, And there's no better feeling than walking out after a beautiful podcast, usually on a Sunday Arvo and you're just driving home and it's like, wow, we've really connected with our guests. We talked about real, real shit, really, and not the superficial. uh, Like we may may do every day. We talk about Mm. things that matter to us. And sometimes it is discouraging when you post some snippets or you post (laughs) some content out on social media and it's like no one is engaging. Mm. You're like, it's going nowhere. But you can feel that people are watching in and Mm. listening in and the small comments 
people send you just out of the blue. Thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for talking to amazing young people in our community. It it really is encouraging. Mm. It's literally that. just those like sing sorry, did I interrupt you? No, no, no go it's ahead. literally those like single like single words of encouragement yeah. that like really like I think make purpose because mm. I think well I noticed this when I was in year eleven, I think I was seventeen, eighteen, I was doing this panel about racism discrimination at a local council event. And I was just talking and I was like, you know, like we have to, I don't know, what was I saying, stand up or something? And I was like, you know, someone says something, you're going to talk back. Like that's the only way you're going to stop discriminatory comments. And this um, guy came up to me after and he was like, Rosie, like, you know, I feel like this when I, I get scared when I see police, but like after what you said, that just really changed my perception of things. And I do have a place here. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't even realize I said something like that. And I think it's just those like words of encouragement and that like not in a bad way, but those words of validation because, Mm. and like, I don't think validation necessarily has to be a bad thing. I think it is normal, like in the society that we live, but yeah, just those small like comments, this was a great podcast or those small things. Like I think really just shape purpose because, yeah. I like to think of it as like, we're just planting seeds, right? Like Mm. the bamboo tree, you plant it, you don't see it grow after like five years, right? Yeah. And it's that as long as you keep watering it, you keep doing it, eventually it will sprout up into a bamboo tree, right? It's our first year of doing this, really. So we can't really judge the impact on the one years of what we've done. And it's that patience, delayed gratification of the work that you do, whatever it is you're doing. And I encourage everybody to, if you see amazing things in your community or if you come across great people doing just great work right just send them a message of encouragement because those words can really go a long way to helping them continue what they're doing because Mm. sometimes it could be a slow slog and and life gets in the way and they know that they want to be doing their passion work Mm. but they may be, I don't know, feeling low or, or something at that point. So send words of encouragement mm. to, to the people that yeah. you look up to and, and all around you. It really goes a long way. Yeah, and I also think just like um, the – just I think seeing something grow from when it like began as well. I think mm. the, the youth-led unit's kind of the first thing in my life where I've been yeah. like, wow, I was here from the start. Like Alkira for you would be like – that's your baby, yeah, like it's it your is. thing. And in a way, like I wonder if Liam, you feel the same, but like the youth-led unit, it's just like, wow, we literally created that. Like we were there from the start. Yeah. And I think, as you said, like we're not going to see it. We're kind of seeing its impact now already as programs roll out. But, you know, we're going to see its impact in five years. And I think that's really exciting to be involved in as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. What's next for you, Rosie? You're completing your studies in global... <laughs> Global studies and law. Global studies and law. <laughs> yeah, definitely not completing yet. I have a while to go. Okay. Um, it's gonna be a long time, but yeah, I think just keep. Uh, well, obviously, studies. Um, continue working in the, in the background. Continue, you know, putting my hand up for things and you know using my voice as well. I think seizing something. I'm like I have to do that. Um, yeah, I hope uh, I've been doing all these applications and they're all the questions like where do you see yourself in 10 years? I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. But yeah, definitely 
you know, travel again as well. I've been quite lucky with my family just to travel when I was young, but, you know, do that on my own and do exchange mm. for six months, like be be kind of my own person. Um, yeah, and just continue to work in spaces like this. I think in, in the youth-led space, things come up so often and so mm. quickly and mm. you really have to say yes to everything because that's how, that's how you make networks and that's important. Um, yeah. Yeah. What parts of the world call you to travel and to seek mm. and to explore? Um, like actual mm. places mm. or? Regions of the world. Yeah, I definitely, well, I'm actually going back mm. to Vietnam in February, which is exciting um, with some friends. So that'll be different to traveling with my family. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I'll feel a, a closer connection <clears throat> to that or maybe yeah. I'll feel a more distant connection. Who knows? Like I, <laughs> mm. I'm not sure how that'll be. Um but yeah, I just you know I love the snow. <laughs> I really want to. I um you know I've been very fortunate to ski overseas and go mm. to places like that. Um, so just go back to places I've been. Also, like I think in a different way. Um, but I think studying overseas will be really different to just traveling alone because it's yeah you have to make a whole new life there, and yeah. I'm excited to do that for a good solid half a year or so. Um, yeah. Is there anywhere in particular that you want to study and put some roots down for well, those mean, six months or a semester? Yeah, I mean, I think I'll, I'll be doing it when I have law electives. So doing like human rights law in Geneva, let's say, would be really <laughs> cool. But to live in Geneva would be really expensive. Yeah. So not sure. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not quite at that application process yet. But I mean, Denmark, Copenhagen, places like that would be really good. Somewhere accessible that I could just travel on the weekend <laughs> would be ideal. Um, yeah, not sure yet. So in terms of human rights, mm. there's a lot that's not going right mm. in the yeah. world. What, what type of, yeah, I'm curious <coughs> on what regions, what problems that you're mm. interested in exploring and eventually helping to be part of the solution for. Yeah. Um, I was saying to Jasper before we started recording, like there's always jobs in human rights, sadly, because there's so much going on in the world. but um, I think, well, I didn't always have a, I, I've always said I had a, I've had a drive, but I've never had a passion. Like it's never been a passion until year 10 for human rights. I did work experience at a law firm in the social justice department and they were starting their class action, um, for unlawful detention in Australia and asylum seekers and refugees. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was a class action for that. And that was just like crazy because we were, I was like, how old are you in your 10, 16? And I was having these calls with these, you know, refugees who had been unlawfully detained. And that's when I was like, wow, like there is so much wrong with the world. And it happened so close to home. Like Australian politics in itself is like, you know, so problematic in its own ways. But um, yeah, I guess that's when, you know, I think refugee advocacy has yeah. been a big one. First Nations justice is just, there's so many things close to home that yeah. are so problematic. and. I think when I was younger, I did used to think, oh, my gosh, like we have to end racism everywhere. We have to end poverty. Like we have to end asylum seekers. Like that would be like you have to end, what, 90 million people like internally displaced. Like you can't do that. You can't just end it. So I think that's something I've learned over the, f the past few years working in this space, working in this multicultural space is you can't – you really have to start at, this, at the start. You have mm -hmm. to start um, – can't just solve everything like that and that's been quite hard to kind of like mm. comprehend because in in that way you're like oh my gosh like what can I do 
Um, but yeah, I guess there's so in Australia, there's just so much to do. Um, yeah. As young people, we we grow up very idealistic. Mm, yeah. Right. We think we can change the world. We think we can do everything, and that, I think that's the energy that we need to maintain. Yeah, for sure. We go through and we try and do these projects. We get knocked back down, and then you can very easily become jaded. You can say, look, I'm not good enough. It's not worth it. I want to give up. I'm just going to lounge around, eat my Cheetos and watch Netflix or something like that. But it's the ability to get back up, to rise back up, and to really find your community, finding like-minded people who can help you stand up when you're down or who you could extend a hand to to lift others up. And, And living in service that way really is fulfilling and it helps you move forward every day and it helps you solve the problems that you're passionate about too. yeah and you can't do it alone i think that's also the thing yeah. you have to go around like it's, it's not just you you need yeah. you need friends you need contacts and i think that's a main part of life like make those connections make those conversations yeah yeah sounds like a, a beautiful conversation and might be a, a good time to ask Rosie the three, the questions, three questions, Jasper. <laughs> All right. So three questions. Mm-hmm. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for my mom and dad. Like yeah. they have just given me just like the most amazing life. Like I, I just, yeah, as I've, as I've spoken about, I just feel it so deeply. And um, I always tell them like I, I, you know, get emotional with them. I'm just like how I feel, you know, you literally like I go above and beyond, but and they're always like, no, but like, you know, it's like how any people always tell me it's how anyone would treat a, you know, their biological daughter or son. But I'm like, no, it just I could have ended up anywhere, and I think that's how I feel mm. really grateful, and I feel it really intensely. So that's been, yeah, a lot. <laughs> and I can feel it like when you're sharing your story, I was like getting like goosebumps. I was like, oh my god, like it's yeah. incredible, very wholesome conversation. Um, second question: What have you realized? Ooh. I need a time frame on that. Um, ooh, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, we've kind of spoken about like we've realized we can't change everything, but um, yeah, I've realized that like to be vulnerable is is really important. I think mm. I've really been busy my whole life. I've never like since I was like in year six. I've had sport. I've had. I've always kept myself busy. Um, and maybe that was a coping mechanism of like trying to comprehend that I do have like a place. Yeah. Um, so I think I've realized over the past year that like all these emotions that I've just felt have maybe been built up. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but like you really need to feel that and you need to have time for yourself because it's not like I haven't made time for myself, but I've always just been like, oh, I'm more effective if I've got this, this, this on, then I'll study, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've realized I really need to you know, work on myself a bit. Like I need to, I need to give myself time and I need to feel really vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and that's something I've learned the past year trying to, you know, juggle these identities. Yeah. Final question. What is a question you ask yourself? Um, Ooh, there's a few. Um, <laughs> what's a question I ask myself? Yeah. I often ask myself, what more can I do? Like, um, sometimes, sometimes I go to youth events and I'm, I see these amazing speakers talk and then I leave. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could, li- I need to do more. Like I, I feel really angry and I'm like, yeah. I need to like 
make a foundation or something. Like I need to make a business. I need it, you know. And I, um, yeah, I I do often ask myself, what can I do more? And I think the last year I've really been asking myself, who am I? Um, has been, yeah. I, I guess I I feel like also I don't think I'd be asking myself this if I wasn't studying, like and interrogating my subject position to race because I don't mm. think if I if I was doing science, let's say nothing on science people but <laughs> like I don't think I would have had like such a like deep like oh my gosh who am I um yeah I think I'm finally getting to that definition I'm not there yet and I mean people change everyone's always evolving but yeah who am I I guess <laughs> yeah like when I came on the fod- podcast for the first time <coughs> that was what I said really who am I is the mm. the question well, that I yeah. asked myself and as we take this journey and look, I've got 10 years on you. I'm still asking myself, who mm, am I? Yeah. Right. And I'm assuming people at 70 will continue to ask themselves, yeah. who am I? What is my place in the world? How can I deliver value? How can mm. I make an impact for not just myself, but yeah. for my community generations what beyond. Do, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But before we close up, I just want to circle back to, you receiving 200 page documents and a stack yeah. of papers, right? <laughs> and reading and reading lives that you could have lived. Yeah, I mean, they were blurted out, but there were like the fact that you can see that there are like my mom and dad, and then there are two other families that I could have maybe gone to, which would have been pushed down from a lot more. Um, what were the other families? Did you no, learn any no, other details from them? No. It's really private. The whole whole adoption system is in itself. I think there needs to be a lot more written on it and done, and there needs to be a lot more about open adoptions and the way um, children have responded to that. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's you know our adoption system in Australia is great um, compared to the US, let's say for example. But I think there's like no one knows anything, and I I think adopted people need to be the ones um, to advocate for that and. You know, they're going through their own stories, but mm. yeah, it's quite hard. But yeah, I guess receiving those documents is just mm. like, holy moly. <laughs> like I have, it was quite overwhelming. Like I, I, and then it, it, it's kind of like, I always knew that I would find her though. Like I never, you know, the adoption agency has to be like, you know, there's a chance that she may have passed away, but yeah. I just knew in my heart, like I, I knew that it would come um, and it came quite quickly. It was, yeah. but. But now it's interesting, like, I, as I said, I've had in year 12, let's say I was like, okay, I'll I'll do my journey, I'll find it. And that's always been, like, my purpose, actually. Like, that's my thing I'm going to do. Now that I've done it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, now what? You know, like, I because I, there's no constant, there's still constant wondering with, mm. like, biological dad, let's say. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it feels really, I can't really comprehend that it's kind of not complete, nowhere near mm. complete, but that. I've like discovered her. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's been quite interesting. Who am I? <laughs> Who am I? Who am I? <laughs> yeah. Well, Rosie, just want to thank you for uh, spending your Sunday Arvo with us and sharing with us your stories and being so candid and open. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well. So thank I, you. this is this is quite a big deal because it's the first time I've kind of shared my mm. adoption story like publicly. I've spoken to friends. Obviously, everyone knows me that I've grown up with, but. It, yeah, thank you for giving me the platform to kind of talk about it and 
I mean, in the off chance that anyone is listening and that, you know, may have a connection to adopted people or an adopted person, hit me up because it's really interesting. And if anyone has questions, I'd love to talk about it. But yeah, thank you so much again. Where, where can people find you? Um, I guess Instagram. My name's just Rosie Thayer. You can find that there. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way. And just Google me, <laughs> I guess. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. All those platforms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Facebook. Amazing. Thanks so much, Rosie. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure speaking to you and meeting you. Well, we hope you found value in this podcast. Always stay safe. Always take care and always get up. Peace. Okay. Oh,